0: Hello and welcome to Nightlight. Here's something kind of weird. You'll be hearing this uh, after the new year. This will be the first Nightlight for the year of 2022. But as you might have picked up on in previous recordings of the last month or so, uh we always do the last 3 recordings of the year early so that we don't encumber our recording people with the burden of keeping up with our recording sessions and recording schedule so they can enjoy their own holidays with their families. And so here I am in mid-September talking to you in 2022. (laughs) so it's a little it's a little schizophrenic for me Uh, I'm supposed to I guess I could just have a topic you know and just stick with the topic and uh, my problem with, with that is I know I know what day it is and I know what time I'm addressing and there's this feeling of incongruity with it but anyway, let me let me tell you something that just happened a little while ago that may or may not be on topic, but it's on my mind, and it's very poignant, I think, to where we all are. I was waiting in line to go through the the bank teller, you know, the the, the bank uh, drive-through, and it was kind of an unusually long line of traffic. And uh, by the time I got to the window. I'd I'd been there a little little longer than normal. But the lady that was waiting on us, waiting on me, by the time I got up to her, she she looked very, very distraught and bedraggled and exhausted. And uh, she spoke to me through her little teller audio thing. She said, what she said was kind of strange. She said, "Could you please stand outside your car and tell the people behind you to please, not be mean and not be harsh and And she said, "They've been so unkind. And of course, I was kind of taken aback by the whole statement. And what really bothered me the most was how easily I took on the role immediately of the uh, the kindness gestapo. I'd be more than happy to stand there and rebuke all the bad people's bad attitudes because I never have any bad attitudes. And, uh, you know, I've told you a lot of my post office stories, so... I I finally learned to behave myself better in the post office and seen some good fruit from it. But now I thought, well, maybe I haven't learned anything yet about the bank. (laughs) So, uh, of course, I, I I waved goodbye to her and told her I sure was sorry that she'd had a bad day and drove on you know cuz people behind me were getting antsy and uh i just went back by there just a few minutes ago this is a couple of hours later and i thought you know maybe i should go stick my head in at her and see how she's doing but the line was 3 times longer at the the the, the drive through than it was when all this happened and um and the first thing I thought was man I'm glad I'm not sitting in that line <laughs> proving that I am not the worthy uh, recipient of the crown of kindness for the the bank line I mean I can be a real jackass and uh, I guess we all maybe we all can there might be a few of you that say, no, I would never be a jackass. That's not in my nature. But for most of us, it's in there somewhere. I remember Mary and I were in the London airport, uh, Heathrow. I don't remember what was happening. Doesn't, doesn't really matter. It was just one of those airport hassles that there's so many of them. And Mary was quiet and peaceful and self-contained and telling me things that she wished I would go check on. And the more I was going to check on them, the more impatient I was becoming. And the more impatient I was becoming, the more stuff was happening that was frustrating me. And uh, somewhere in all of that, uh, it was quite obvious to anybody that was watching that i was being impatient and angry and unkind to my wife and if i'd been watching it i i would have thought you know look at that jerk look at that jackass why can't you be nice to your wife you know you know you're not in any present danger you're not in any present difficulty you're in a relatively safe place with all your basic needs being met right at your... That's the problem, isn't it? Spoiled, rotten American idiot. You know, (laughs) I probably think stuff like that. But we got on the plane, and I settled down. And as usual, you know, as usual, somewhere along the line, when when, when I was no longer in any personal inconvenience or frustration, I probably turned to Mary and said something like, darling, I'm sorry I was out of line, or I'm sorry I was so impatient, or, you know, some such stuff as that, which is okay, and of course she forgave me, because she's got a lot of practice in forgiving me, but here's the deal. Um, there's There was something at the core of me that not only got angry, felt entitled to get angry, and not only got entitled to get angry, but actually enjoyed, yeah, that's the right word probably, enjoyed being aggravated and letting everybody around me know I was aggravated. Of course, that was many, 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 many years ago, maybe two, or three, I don't know. <laughs> I'd like to find some distance I could put between me and this story, but it's not that much distant. Because here's the deal. I was, if I had managed to put a lid on my outer behavior so as to not appear to be the jackass that I was being, I still would have not been manifesting the character of Jesus that he expects me to move into. And uh, just keeping a lid on bad behavior and uh, not spewing it all over people, I mean, that's better than spewing it on people, but it's still not anywhere near. I I got. I remember getting in the plane, and we took off, and things were quiet, and things had settled down, and thankfully there were no screaming children near me that I could perceive right away, and I was not in any danger of being accosted by somebody who wanted to sit next to me and ask me questions and talk so I could read my book, and uh, Mary was on the other side of me, so I was safe, obviously I was safe there. But it just came quite clear to me that mostly in the last hour I had manifested the lowest degree of self-control and godliness and kindness and uh, care for other people, namely the one I love most in the world, I had manifested the lowest lowest degree of, of that kind of care, if any. It had actually manifested the opposite. And as we were flying home, it just began to go through my mind that the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross with nails in his hands and feet and his back slit open to the point that the bone is exposed. And I won't go into other details of the cross that I'm sure you know. But with this agony, I mean, the the heat, the flies landing on him, the, the sweat pouring in his eyes to the point that they burned with the mixture of blood and sweat. And in the midst of this, he manages to say, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He manages to say, John, behold your mother, take care of her. Mother, behold John, take care of him. I mean, on the cross, he is thinking about the care and welfare of everybody else around him. And I'm just thinking about that in contrast to the way I had just been behaving. And the way I had behaved on numerous other international flights when I felt duress and stress and discomfort and insecurity and angst of various kinds, some of them self-imposed, some of them imagined, some of them really understandably present and real, but not not to the degree that it would ever excuse the way I was behaving, but I'm thinking of all that and i'm I'm continuing to think about it all the way across the Atlantic because we're heading back to uh some meetings with people on various levels where there's some discomfort and broken relationships and misunderstandings and accusations and so forth and i'm thinking about all that and i'm thinking you know i'm i'm not qualified to do most of what i do i'm not i'm not uh, manifesting the character of christ i'm only manifesting certain behaviors that I've learned are necessary to get through the conflict for the moment, keep the peace, quote-unquote, or uh, something of that nature. It, it, all, it all served a good purpose and that the Holy Spirit really began to, to speak to me about the vast difference between Behaving in a quote, righteous manner and manifesting the true nature of, of Jesus who lives in me and manifesting that through me in such a way that you really almost, I don't want to say you can't, you can't tell where he starts and I stop, but Yet that—that that is kind of the idea that we should get to the place where we're not just behaving go- correctly. But that's what comes out of us because that's all that's in us. And Jesus saw, obviously seems to be saying in various ways throughout the New Testament, especially in the Beatitudes, but other, all throughout the New Testament, and then on through the, 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 uh, the writings of the New Testament writers. Now what he's after in us is a transformation on the inside where we abide in him, and he abides in us, and he in us, and us in him, and uh, when you cut us, we believe Jesus. I mean, that sounds like a big, profound, high degree of spirituality to say that, but actually it's not that profound if you think about the New Testament the way it really, almost matter-of-factly, speaks to us. And then I'm thinking about how this kind of character development can only happen in the milieu of difficulty with people that are not fun to work with or be with or be around or be exposed to or be subjected to. That the only way we can ever come to uh, to these, these places in us that need this kind of development, is to be exposed to it on a regular basis and you know, some of you might say, well that's what goes on at my job every day or that's what goes on in in my family all the time or whoever. But I'm thinking about the word church in reference to this. And I'm thinking about the number of people who listen to Nightlight every month that I interact with sometimes, uh, through letters or phone calls or whatever. And how many of us say us, not, not you. I'm not talking down to anybody. When I think about how many of us have been through a, a, a lot of church disappointment church frustration, uh, the number of people that listen every month who still are not in what you would call a, a fulfilling church life experience, whatever that really means. I don't even know what that means anymore. But So here we go. I've said all that to say I want to talk to you here at the beginning of the new year for you, <laughs> the new year for us. Oh yeah, I think we could we could talk about all kinds of things. There's no telling what will actually have un- un- unfolded historically between now when I'm recording this and January when you're hearing it, by the time it actually comes to you in January we may be in quite a number of exciting or frustrating or demanding or daunting confrontations with uh, historical conflicts that you think would be more important to talk about. But actually, I really don't think so. I don't know, regardless of what may unfold between now and the end of the year, beginning of the new year, I don't know that there's anything more important than what I'm poking around trying to get us to examine. I used to have an old friend. He's with the Lord now. I still have an old friend. He's with the Lord now. But I say I used to have an old friend. I mean, he used to be here on the earth, and we could talk about this on the phone. But he used to say periodically in certain contexts, There's never an excuse to not be kind. And I had known him for many years and I had known many conflicts that he had had to face uh, in in many betrayals. Many people had had betrayed him uh, and wounded him. He never carried that uh, as a Badge of martyrdom. Uh, if su- certain subjects came up in my presence, and I knew those subjects carried pain for him, there was never the smell of smoke on him when he talked about those issues or the people involved. And on occasions when he would encounter some of those people who I knew were two-faced, I mean they were they were coming up and smiling and petting him on the back and saying all kind of nice things. Because they were hypocrites. And uh, he knew they were hypocrites and I knew that they were hypocrites. I don't know if they knew they were hypocrites. But there was not one shred in him of wanting to whisper to me after they walked away, what a hypocrite. There was, there was none of that. It was just a a look on his face of resignation that things are as they are, and he refused to lower himself. And he wouldn't even think in terms of, I refuse to lower myself. He would not think in those terms. Because, see, a true believer who seriously wants to manifest the character of Christ is not going to think in terms of, I just will not lower myself to behave that way. He, see, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count it proper to, he did not count it, uh, uh, what am I trying to say from Philippians chapter 2? Uh, he did not grasp his authority and power as God as something to cling and pull to himself, but made of himself no reputation, humbled himself all the way down to the death, even the death on the cross. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And in all the last months of conflict that we faced nationally and internationally and that we still will face, um, I would. I'm thinking, what would I want this new year? What would I want to focus on in the the coming year? Uh, and found myself there in that uh, drive-through at the bank, and found myself having to take a good long look at myself, and questioning how kind I am under certain circumstances. And what a hypocrite I could be if I happened to be uh, called upon by someone to be the kindness policeman. Uh, Oh yes, yes, I'd be glad to jump up and put on my kindness policeman's badge and uh, stand out there and shake my self-righteous finger at other people who might not be kind because I want to make this little lady who looked like she'd been beat up by people. I wanted to make myself look good in her eyes. When really, the fact is, if I had been maybe one car behind my car, I might have been one of those very people blowing the horn and shaking my fist and slamming my hand against the steering wheel and looking at my watch and sending an a, a evil stink eye into the window. Uh, to let her know she was really slowing my day down, and look at this mess that you people have gotten uh here in this new banking system i mean the bank the bank has just merged with another bank, and anybody knows that's usually a hassle, and it's going to make for all kinds of uh silly to us what seems silly rule changes and uh Procedure changes and it's got everybody frustrated and confused and they probably had to replace all the computers, not because they really needed to be replaced, but, but because it's an excuse to replace computers. And so everybody's confused. Everybody's frustrated. And, uh, and I'm, I'm sitting here in the midst of this going, blessed are the peacemakers. The Greek actually is more accurately blessed are those who keep Peace, maintain peace. And the only way you can maintain peace outwardly is to maintain it inwardly. And so I was, you know, I was called upon by her to maintain peace outwardly for her. And I just happened to be caught in a moment when I was relatively peaceful on the inside. But I knew as I drove away, it it was just a a matter of serendipity as to whether I happened to be a peacekeeper or a peace disturber in the given moment. And that put me thinking, you know, how will I ever, ever become the, the kind of man who, if you cut me, I bleed peace. If you cut me, I bleed kindness. I'm closer to that than I was before, but I still have a long way to go. And then that that brings me to the question of how that is developed in us. And that's developed in us in our relationships with one another. And some of that is developed by good relationships with good people who call the best in us forward But it's also, maybe even more so, called forth in us in difficult relationships where our best is never encouraged but challenged. And in the challenge, we are able to listen to the Holy Spirit rule over our our childish, old, knee-jerk reactions And not only keep the old knee-jerk reactions under control, but go way beyond that into manifesting another spirit, which is our true spirit, our true self in Christ. See, when I, when I keep my selfishness under control, it's absolutely wrong for me to say, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not giving in to my real self. I'm, I'm, I'm learning to behave myself better. No, 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 no. My real self will manifest the character of Jesus. That's my real self. It's the habit of the old self that I've given vent to. You, you know, the one you feed is the stronger one. The one you keep feeding is the one that shows up. And so in, if I'm manifesting the old, more and more instead of the new, more and more. Then it's because I'm still feeding the old and starving the new. But it's a total mistake to think, well, you know, that's just me. I said, no, it's not just you. That's the old you. And Paul says we're to put away the old man like you put away an old garment. It's not the true self. It's not you created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so if you get that switch properly in your mind and you start focusing and you start thinking scripturally and more than scripturally, you start thinking realistically. Uh, you know, you can think scripturally and just be religious and still be an old stick in the mud, uh, in your true heart behaviors, but if you really are in union with Jesus and abiding in him and being aware of him abiding in you, he in you, you in him, uh, then you you realize that uh, <clears throat> there will come a time when the old is given opportunity to show itself that you will have so often brought that old man under the power of the cross and manifested the opposite spirit, that that opposite spirit becomes what is really going to come forward in you. That's really what's going to come forward in you. And so everything in you that you want to see changed doesn't just have to be in the context that I'm talking about here, although this is a good subject because we are living in such a world of rancor. Now, um, the spirit of rancor, Jesus, I mean, that's not a word we use very often, but Jesus talked about it a lot. Uh, he said uh, men's hearts would fail them for looking after those things that are coming on the earth. Uh, and then he talked about uh, the love of the majority would wax cold. That's very important, the way that's worded. We've talked about this before, but it bears repeating here. The love of the majority will wax cold. Here's where the King James English is actually more, more to the point and, and more uh, descriptive. Waxing cold implies layer upon layer, little by little process. Uh, the the love, the word there for love is agape. It's the it's the love, the love that's we're so simplistic in the way we discuss these words. But agape in this context means the love of the people of God who claim to to walk in love. The love of the people of God will wax cold because iniquity shall abound. Well, we're there now. We don't have to wonder how that's going to look in the future. We're there now because iniquity abounds. Uh, It's become the acceptable process of society to live outside the revelation of law reality doesn't mean they 're just not keeping the rules it means they're they're choosing to live in another counterfeit false reality well, whether it 's politically or medically or economically or spiritually or i mean you name it there's not one area of our lives that are not being affected by an iniquitous uh, <clears throat> misrepresentation of reality and because that will abound it will become the norm the normal atmosphere of of culture the agape of the majority will wax cold little by little by little and you won't realize that it's happening and unless you want to realize that it's happening, and unless you're asking for the Holy Spirit to keep the flame burning so that uh, iniquity can't build up in you in a, a hardened, cold, waxing uh, layer upon layer of uh, insensitivity. And uh, the way that we know we're insensitive to God is that we are becoming insensitive to people, John says, if you love God, you will love your brother. If you don't love your brother, it's evident that you don't love God. If you don't love God, it shows up in the way you treat people. Uh, that you can see. If you say you love God. You love God, who you cannot say. It'll show up in how you treat people. You can see. I'm talking to myself here. But here we are at the beginning of the new year. And again, I could be talking about all kinds of big, uh, international, prophetic, world-shaking subjects. Uh, and I'm not interested in any of them. Uh, I'm more interested in how I treat the lady at the bank a while ago and how I would have treated her had I been the one uh, in the car just ahead of me that had made her so, so hurt and so frustrated. You know, seriously y'all, she looked like she had been physically slapped. And something worse had happened. You know, I think you could physically strike someone and not hurt them as deeply as some behaviors hurt people. And we've all been both the recipients and the, and the, uh, givers of that that kind of mistreatment. And the reason I'm I'm spending time on this right now is because if you go into the new year, does it really matter a great deal how much of a grasp you have on the rise of the Antichrist or the mark of the beast or whether there's a pre or post or mid-trib rapture or all the other stuff that the church in the west has historically gotten so wrapped up in in the name of longing for the return of the lord it's not really so much longing for the return of the lord as longing to know what's up ahead so you can be in the know so that by being in the know you don't have to trust the word of the lord and to walk in the dark with nothing but the shining light of God in your heart, uh, you know, having, 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 having everything all figured out, you know, I, I know because in the early days that's what motivated me. I wanted to know, and uh, the more I studied all that, the the more the Holy Spirit made it clear He wasn't pleased with my focus on it. He was a lot more interested in what I'm talking about right now. So this this spirit of conflict <clears throat> uh, is more than just a human thing. There's a diabolical, demonic element to it, of course. You know, I told you the, the word diabolos. I mentioned it before in previous teachings. I might have mentioned it even here. Diabolos means uh, that's where we get the word diabolical and it literally means to throw a stumbling block in the feet to cause you to stumble to throw you off balance to overturn you and uh to, there's a diabolical nature to all of this and uh the the st- people who study these things you know there's always studies about these things and you know you you never know what to believe statistically or not. But there's a, a, a large number of studies that are pointing to the fact that what is killing people, literally what is killing people, more than any disease, is a loss of relationship and a loss of community and a loss of a sense of belonging. And there's hardly any person, I think one person, article I read recently said that uh, in one recent study, 80 plus, 80 people, uh, 80% of the people in the study said that they had lost a meaningful close relationship during the COVID conflicts, not just the COVID disease, but the conflicts over the misinformation over the, the disease. So, uh, People had lost friendships they had lost business close partnerships they had even lost marriages uh, how how do how in the world do you lose a marriage over something outside yourself like that? Well, you had to be living outside the covenant love of, <clears throat> of that marriage for you to be shaken by it to that point so. The Holy Spirit will move quickly on your behalf if you ask Him, Lord, please let this conflict that we're in be useful in your hands where I'm concerned to give me an opportunity to grow in love. Instead of diminish in love, you think he won't answer that prayer? You think he won't immediately respond to that? But he will wait for you to ask him. He will not just do it because uh, it seems to be the right thing you should have prayed. Why? Well, how many times do we got to keep saying it? Because God wants us cooperating with him in these things. And so he requires us to ask him. You have not because you ask not. He requires us to ask him to do things that he already knows needs doing and he already wants to do. All that's missing is your desire enough to ask. I'm awake enough About how much of a jackass I can be, that I pray about these things fairly regularly. Uh, I mean, I don't start every day with, "Oh Lord, the the sun's coming up. Please help me not be a jackass today." I don't. I don't have to go that far, but I do. I, I, I do have to exert myself in my will by praying about that which I already know is on the Lord's agenda and heart for me. Because I know I'm not yet made perfect in love. Perfect love casts out fear. A lot of this rancor in people, I keep using that word, I don't know why I'm using that particular word. I guess rancor is a good word because Rancor is something that is not always manifested as full-blown anger, but it's always wrinkling, rankling. Uh, it, it always is on the verge. Someone who is a rancorous is not somebody who's angry, but they're right on the verge of being angry. And all you, when you see them, you know all you got to do to push them over the line is say the wrong thing, or if you're antagonistic. Trying to purposely be antagonistic, say the quote right thing that will push them over the line. <clears throat> you know living on that edge of anger is actually worse than being fully angry because if you're fully angry, usually you can spew it out and burn it up and recognize the waste of it and come to come to a sense of clarity and maybe repent. But if you're just rancorous, you're always walking around with a chip on your shoulder, just daring somebody to knock it off. Uh, you know, you can, there's lots of opportunities we could list. I'm not going to list any of them because we've all got our own versions of it. We all know what I'm talking about, but you know, that, that, that whole attitude of just, just give me one more reason to, to blow up and I'll be glad to take it. See, when you're, when you're in that place, you're obviously not only in a bad place, but you're not in position to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, to be a salt and light, and to be a peacekeeper in the midst of, uh, trouble. And there's going to be so many opportunities for trouble. Already are, but there's going to be far more. And your whole job on the planet is to be the opposite, to walk in the opposite spirit. And so how crazy is it? How crazy is it for us to spend all our time focusing on, you know, who the Antichrist is and all that other stuff? Uh, and, and, but not focusing on obeying what Jesus told us to do in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation and among whom we are to shine as lights in the world we are about to enter into the greatest opportunity that the church has ever had in its history to shine the light of the real gospel to the whole world the world seems to be coming to our door whether it's legally or illegally who cares at this point whether they're coming legally or un- illegally They're coming, and we have an opportunity to meet them with the gospel. I'm not saying it doesn't matter that laws are being broken, but I'm saying there is something far more important than whether our laws are being broken, and that is that that the gospel is being manifested. And that means that we're going to have to learn to manifest the real gospel and not just the American Western Christianized version of the gospel that has obviously failed to produce a robust uh life affirming community of, of believers so this pressure that we're all under is helping produce that it's helping form that that uh reality in all of us i mean yeah i feel exhausted i feel, I feel times when when i'm exceptionally exhausted uh, emotionally exhausted, not just physically exhausted. In fact, physical exhaustion would be welcomed, but this emotional sense of exhaustion. And when, when I do that, I can either grovel in it and mully in it, which makes it only worse, Or I can go to the Lord and say, see this in me? I know you're working to bring this all up and out in me and cleanse it out of me so that more of your presence and power can flow through me. And I'm asking you to do that. I promise you, if you learn to do that, he will meet you in it and he will transform that part of you that is still bending into that way of behaving and that way of thinking and uh, manifests a, a greater degree of his presence through you and to you and that has to happen people are so i mentioned a while ago perfect love casts out fear then i got detract, distracted perfect love casts out fear people are rancorous because they're afraid um, uh, i've never seen so many people so afraid Uh, so easily frightened. Now, I live in a relatively peaceful place. I can say with King David, the lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. I live in a relatively safe area. But I have ministered in many areas that are not safe. And I don't think, the Lord may test me on this, but I don't think that I would give in to the spirit of fear the way I see people operating in fear. They're afraid of disease. Doesn't matter what the scriptures say. They check with the news media, and they check with the stats. They they check with the false government numbers to see how how strong the uh, disease operating in their area is. And then they measure whether they should be afraid or not by those stats. Uh, they don't walk with a awareness of the spirit of life that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwelling in them also and bringing life to them. Uh, also uh, they are fearful politically. Uh, maybe that's one reason why people are so preoccupied with uh, trying to figure out about the Antichrist and all that. Um, I can't get off on on this rabbit trail right now, but yes, it's it's important to read the scriptures. The scriptures talk about these things, but the preoccupation with knowing every detail and figuring it out and putting on a putting it on a chart and saying this is going to happen and then this is going to happen and then this is going to happen, and so you don't have to listen to God. You just have to look at your chart. And uh, if your chart ends up being a failure, if it doesn't accurately de- de- delineate how it's all going to unfold, it's, uh, you know, you either trade in for an- another chart or just, uh, I don't know, some people just keep going back to the same chart over and over. Your comfort will not come from reading the prophetic scriptures in such a way as to give you a a blueprint of how it's all going to unfold. Why? Because I've been doing it for over 50 years. And though I have a general understanding of the chart, there's nothing about that chart that has told me, okay, now you can relax for the next couple of years because nothing's going to happen of any importance until this happens or that happens. I've never been able to live that way as a result of that chart. And I've grown in a relationship with the Lord that I don't want to live that way. I don't want to think that way. My peace is in my union with him, my daily life with him, listening to him, responding to what he says to me in a given situation, moment by moment. We live together. He shall be kept in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on me because he trusts in me, not because he read my charts. So, another reason for fear, that, that, that quite often anger that is produced from fear is a certain kind of anger. You know that's a whole study in itself. What kinds of anger comes from what kinds of root emotions? Anger that comes from arrogance is a different kind of anger that comes than than the kind that comes from pride, or the kind that comes from clear and present danger, or the kind that comes from fear of uh, losing face publicly and various other forms like that. But the kind of fear that I see here uh, is so often a fear of, of, of loss of the things of this earthly life. There's a fear of, 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 uh, that, is, that is rooted in being too attached to this present world system. It says of the people of Revelation chapter 18, the people of Babylon. Babylon doesn't refer to New York City, for heaven's sakes, nor does it refer to some building they're building in Iraq. Uh, Babylon is a symbolic symbol, it's a symbolic image of the entire world system in operation against God. Babylon can be downtown Hickory, or it can be in uh, Hickory, uh, the Hickory, the uh, Hickory uh, flea market, for heaven's sakes, uh, or wherever you live. Uh, it doesn't have to be some big megalopolis, megalop- uh, a, a, a city like New York City or Singapore or uh, Los Angeles. It's just the spirit of the age. You can be operating in Babylon and and uh, be dressed like a, a country farmer. But your heart is in Babylon. It says the people of Babylon, they will weep and wail and mourn. And they will be so terrified and fearful when they see Babylon collapsing and when they see the end of all that they've known and all that they put their trust in. For all the merchandise that they bought is no longer available and all the baubles and all the activities and all the entertainments and I mean everything in our culture has been shaken. Baseball, even baseball for heaven's sakes. You can't even watch a baseball game without political correct stupidity being mixed with it. Football is ruined. Uh, almost every sport is ruined uh hollywood praise the lord is shaken to its foundations not shaken quite nearly enough but it's certainly shaken uh but all the entertainments all the all the tw- twinkling trinkets of babylon they're all being shaken people can't find enough distraction they can't they can't be distracted uh Everything reminds them of the insecurity and the the terrible system uh, that we are becoming. Well, before I start sounding too self-confident, my confidence is not in myself. I know how lacking I am in courage and self-control and strength. But my strength is in the Lord. It's in the Lord. I'm not bragging on myself. I really believe what I've been saying for 50 years. Did you know that? See, I really believe it, but I'm finding people who don't, don't believe it. They, they believed, they believed it. They believed, they believed it. And God, in His great mercy, because He's a loving Father, and he knows what it takes for us to grow up and become real. God is allowing our world system and our uh, our false weapons wherein we trusted to be given an opportunity to show how weak they are and how failing they are. And in that, we are given this wonderful opportunity to finally find out that we don't believe We only believed we believe. And we are getting set free of believing what we believed we believed, and maybe that can open the way for us to do some serious, real interacting with the Lord and come to truly believe what we thought we believed all along. Am I making any sense? I'm not not saying this to be facetious or to talk down to us. I've got areas in my life where I've had to find out, you know, Clay, you are not walking in faith here. You've walked in preference. You've walked in untested believism on this particular subject. Now you have an opportunity to really, really, truly believe. I remember, I'll never forget, someone very dear to me, Called me one day, and he said, "You know, I haven't been able to get mom and dad on the phone uh, this time of day. I always can reach them." His parents were in ministry, and uh, he was in ministry. And it's about 1.30 in the afternoon. He was always able to reach them. I said, "Well, just just try them again. I'll I'll pray with you." But I had a pretty tense sense of uneasiness in my spirit. And he called me back in a few minutes, and he said, I still can't reach them. They were on their way to the hospital to visit someone in the hospital. And he said, I just, I don't, I don't. And I heard myself say to him, almost too loudly, too forcefully, I heard myself say, tell me out loud right now what you believe about the Lord Jesus Christ his death, and his resurrection. Tell me now, say it out loud, what you believe. And at the risk of making this far more dramatic sounding than I mean for it to, but it was quite dramatic, the atmosphere seemed to change on the, the phone between us. And he stepped into another realm, and I stepped into that realm with him. And he said to me from a place in his spirit, I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the cross, and that he is risen from the dead. And he is our Savior and Lord. And I said to him, You believe that he is risen from the dead? Hold on to that. Hold on to that. Within 30 minutes, I got the phone call back that he had had the confirmation from the highway patrol that his parents had been hit in a head-on collision by an elderly man who had sneaked out of the house and gotten his car keys, which he shouldn't have gotten, and was driving down the wrong side of the highway, on the wrong side, and uh, there was nothing. There was nothing his parents could have done to avoid the head-on collision that took their life. And I watched this young man who is now a fine pastor and father and husband. I watched him walk through not just the valley of the shadow of death. I watched him walk through the real, cold, hard, cruel reality of something that he had believed as a believism since he was five years old. Yes, he believed that Jesus had died on the cross. Yes, he believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. Yes, he believed that Jesus was his Savior. But saying he believed that in the light of a normal everyday life, and then saying he believed that in the flame of the fire of watching his parents be taken from him, and in seemingly such a relatively... Unnecessary and avoidable way. I watched him walk through that difficulty, that understatement to call it a difficulty. I watched him to walk through that for over two years. And when he emerged on the other side of it, which he did, he emerged a wiser, more powerful articulator of the gospel because it was no longer something he believed, he believed it had become reality to him on a level that it can only come into reality by going through the fire that purges uh, beliefism into faith. So I want to ask you in our closing moments together, what is it in your life that you're finding most being shaken by the difficulties, the losses, the disintegrations, the impositions, the uh, conflicts, the discoveries of people that you thought were walking in faith in Christ who you find are really just church members. Or people who you thought were real believers in, in the promises of God but are just full of fear and insecurity and anxiety. Or well, what has that been doing inside of you? Don't just look around you at all the other people that you wish better behavior to to be coming from. What's it What's it saying to you about you? I, I know I've had to examine repeatedly what it's saying to me about me. I've had to really wrestle night after night with uh, with anger. I, uh, Mary and I watch the news because we want to know what's happening locally. We want to know how to pray for our local issues. But I would get so infuriated night after night after night after night at a news media that I once had some degree of confidence in locally. Just parroting the the status quo false information that you hear everywhere you go. False information showing, uh, I don't know how many clips they can show in one night of people getting a needle stuck in their arm. I mean, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20. They have nothing else they can put on the screen except a needle going in an arm. It's obvious optics meant to psychologically hypnotize people into a certain way of believing and thinking. It's not communication of news. It's a, it's pure propaganda. And I would become so enraged by it that it's very hard to go to sleep and peace, peacefully sleep when you're enraged and I, we've had a, I had to find a different way to approach all of that. I won't list all the other things that I had to find different ways of approaching but all I will say now in the, the closing moments that we have together is that the holy spirit who lives in you is guiding you into the processes that you are in for good in order that you might become more and more uh, the, the, the child of God that you are. And to walk out in reality what you've only been able to walk out in preference. And he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. But maybe it's time for you to be willing to embrace that process on a greater level of uh, of conscious res- response to him maybe maybe we need to ask him to help us all do that cuz i'm i'm in this with you i'm not your instructor i'm not your guru i'm just a i'm just a messenger boy sending you a message that you could send me father i pray for every man and woman in the sound of my voice right now i pray for every husband and wife, every single person, every widow or widower, every young person. I pray, Father, that you will help us grasp the reality of the fact that you know us. You know what we think before we say it. You know our sitting down and our rising up. You know every thought in our heart before we express it. And you know what's in us that we don't even know how to express. We don't even know how to pray like we ought. So the Spirit himself prays for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he who knows the mind of the Spirit prays the perfect will of God for us. And we ask, Father, that the Holy Spirit would begin to pray for us, in us, through us, about us, concerning those things where we have just believed rather than truly walked in faith. We have believed we believed, but we have, not, we have not really walked in powerful, true, life-giving, God-honoring faith. There's that strange statement that you made, Lord Jesus, in Luke chapter 18, where you said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? Yes, Lord, we, 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 believe, we believe you will find faith in the earth. And we want to be the first to stand forward and ask you to do in us whatever is necessary for us to be faithful to you in the hour when it would be seemingly logical to ask, will there even be any faith left in the earth when these things begin to unfold? Help us, Holy Spirit, to be faithful in the small things so that we might be entrusted with the larger things. I thank you for every person who has been entrusted to our care and the privilege of communicating this message. Lord, please strengthen us in all goodness. Enlarge our vision. Help us remember we're not heading into the dark We're heading through the dark into the dawn in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.